Man, it's good to see you guys uh, greeting one another and spending time with each other. It's one of my favorite parts of the service is just our time of passing of the peace to be able to greet one another in the peace of Christ. And again, we're grateful uh, that we could gather together this morning as God's people uh, here in this school and just open up God's word together and be able to read from it, to learn more about God, to learn more about ourselves in relation to who God is. So if this is your first time here, we're grateful that you're here. We'd love to get to know you and help you understand and learn more about what it means to know and to follow Christ. So as we begin this morning, let's just spend some time in prayer. Father, we give you thanks for today that we can gather together once again. It's always good. It's a gift of your grace to be able to do that. Lord, we, thank, we are thankful this morning that we are not disconnected individuals, that you haven't called us, if we're in Christ this morning, you haven't called us just to exist in that relationship by ourselves, but to exist in that relationship in the context of community, in a family. And so, Lord, we thank you that we get to gather together with our family this morning. We thank you for those that are here this morning that are not a part of the family. They haven't uh, either come to know Christ yet, or maybe they're just checking out this church. We're thankful that you've brought everyone that's in this room here today. And Lord, as we open up your word and continue to look at your word that you give to us, I pray you'd help us to understand it, to see it as critically important for us to pay attention to, and that through it, Lord, you, renew, you would renew our hearts and our minds today. So Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this time, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, if you need a Bible this morning, go ahead and raise your hand, and somebody will bring a Bible around to you. Uh, we want you to be able to read along with us this morning. We're in a series in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis right now, and so we're looking at a lot of Scripture all at once. And so we want you to be able to see that along with us this morning as we look at God's Word. And if you don't actually own a Bible, we'd love to give that to you as a gift. So feel free to take that home with you if you don't have one yourself. You know, as we've begun this sermon series through these first five books of the Bible, through what's called the Torah, one of the things we said from the beginning is that much of the Torah, much of the beginnings of the scriptures are about telling a story, about telling a story, relating a story to us. And it's not a a fairy tale kind of story. It's a true story, a story that's faithful, a story that tells of a relational and mighty God. This is God's story. And it's a big story. It's a story that has cosmic implications. It's a story that has personal implications for every single person in this room. And we're only a few chapters into the book of Genesis uh, so far in this series, but we've already seen a lot happen. And today we come to a place in the text of Scripture in this story that's critically important for us to pay attention to. Genesis chapter 12 through 17 is one of the most significant texts in all of Scripture between Adam and Christ. It's one of the most significant texts, maybe the most significant text in between Adam and Christ. It's kind of like a a piece to a huge puzzle. If we misplace that piece or we don't find it to be critical and important, if we set it aside, then we are going to miss the whole picture of what the puzzle is putting together for us. It's what it's showing us. In some ways, we could almost see maybe Genesis 12 through 17 as maybe the, the, the top of the box to the puzzle. That it's something we need to look at and see it through that lens, everything else that's going to unfold in this journey. It provides a roadmap, direction. It provides understanding to what God is doing as he calls a people, as he forms a people. And the, the journey very much still lies ahead from this point, but we can't move on to that point without first looking at what God says to us here. Today we are going to look at what's called the calling of Abram. 
And the calling of Abram is a micro story that plays a part in the bigger macro story of God. And the calling of Abram is, is multifaceted. It's got a lot of different pieces to it. It's got a lot of different things going on in it. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the beginning of this call of Abram. But over the next few weeks, begin to continue to unpack what happens in his life and see how that impacts our lives. As we look at this text today, this critically important text, I want us to walk away from here this morning being in awe of who God is. As we see a picture of his grace and his mercy and his faithfulness in this story of Abram, we will see that he is graciously chosen and he is graciously sent. And as we learn about the macro story of redemption, I hope that we'll also see how that affects the micro story of our own lives, leading us to a deeper place of worship and faithful obedience because we've been in God's word this morning. So may God be glorified in our time in his word today. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 11. That's where we're going to kind of start. Your bulletin is a little bit off today. I changed up a little bit of what I was going to cover today. It says 11 through 12 in chapter 15, but we are not going to do that today. We're just going to do part of 11 and 12 today. So open up to Genesis chapter 11, and we are going to start reading from verse 27. The author of Genesis writes this. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred, the Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You know, we're picking up this story in chapter 11, but a lot has happened. The last time when we were together, we looked at the flood that came, that God brought into the world as a judgment on the sinfulness of man. But we also saw God's grace as he rescued Noah and his family to preserve the family that he was calling out to see the seed of Eve continue to go forward. And a lot has happened since then. Generations have passed and the population of the earth has grown once again. But what we see in chapter 11 is that man continues to resort to living out a self-focused heart. In Genesis 11, we learn that the people are gathered together and they're devising a plan. Earlier in chapter 11, verse 4 It says this, then they said, this group of people that's gathered together says, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Man, we see these people gathered together. Their desire is to make much of themselves, not to make much of God, not to make much of Yahweh. They desire to be king. They desire to be in control. So once again, we see that human arrogance has crested 
Because as we talked about last week, the flood that wiped out the sinfulness of man did not change the heart of man. It didn't wash the heart of man clean. What is going on here is a self-focus and self-worship that rules and reigns the day. But God was gracious. He was gracious to stop them by confusing their language and dispersing them over the earth. God knew that they could not be satisfied in themselves alone, but could be satisfied in him alone. And so as an act of grace, he didn't allow them to continue building this tower to make a name for themselves. And at the end of Genesis chapter 11, the author reminds us of the line of Shem. He reminds us of Noah's son and the promise that would come through him. But what's clear from all of this, that while the promise of Shem has been made, while it still stands, it looks like maybe that all is lost again. Because as we read through chapter 11 and we get to the end of chapter 11, one of the things that we realize is that the line of Shem does not worship God. It does not worship Yahweh. So is God going to give up on restoring his world? Is he going to give up on establishing his kingdom? Well, the answer is no, and it's a firm no. What God does instead is he focuses in on a family. And this one family will impact all of humanity. Looking at verse 27 through 30 again, some different sentences in here. We learn about these people and these important people that are going to play a role in this story. He says, now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And then jumping down a few verses, it says, the name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and Sarai was barren. She had no child. This family is not a family of any particular notoriety. There's nothing particularly uh, exciting about them. They're not doing anything inherently special. In fact, they live in a pagan land that's worshiping false gods. And likely they would have been worshiping these same false gods, not knowing anything different, living in this land, doing what the people of that land do. They're a nomadic family moving from place to place all around, living in tents. But then something incredible happens. Yahweh speaks. Verse 1 of chapter 12 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. God spoke creation into existence. God spoke to Adam and Eve. God spoke to Noah. And here again we see God speaking specifically to this man named Abram. And he speaks a specific word, a clear word, a challenging word to him. And this morning we can... Be a good Baptist church, a good, be a good Baptist pastor and use some alliteration this morning. And so we're going to use all of our points. We're going to start with the letter F today, okay? So the first thing we see God do is that God calls Abram to forsake. He calls him to forsake. He says, Abram, I want you to leave everything that you know. I want you to leave everything that provides comfort to you, everything that provides security security to you, everything that your life is about. Leave it all behind. Give it all up. Forsake it all. And then God calls Abram to follow. He calls him to follow. He says, go where I am sending you. I will lead you. I will show you the place to go. Follow me, Abram. Inherent in this call, of Abram is a call to lay down any perceived notion of control or lordship that, that Abram might have or think he has over his life. When, when God calls him, when Yahweh calls him and says, I want you to follow me, I want you to go where I'm going to lead you, what he's communicating to him is that I am Lord, not you. So will you follow me? Follow my way, not the way of the rest of the world. 
But God does not stop with a calling to forsake and a calling to follow. He also gives a promise to be believed in faith. Verses 2 and 3 say, And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, what we saw in Genesis chapter 11 is that the people were trying to make a great name for themselves. That they were living their life for themselves. They were trying to make themselves great. But in Genesis chapter 12, what we see is that God is the one who makes people great. And he says to Abram, I'm going to make you great. You can't do that on your own. But you have to see the craziness of what's being said here. God has not only called Abram to leave everything, I mean literally everything, every aspect of security, comfort, anything he's ever known. That's crazy enough. He calls him to leave it. He calls him to go to an unknown land. But then he makes a promise to a man that has, an, uh, has a barren wife that he's going to make him a great nation. That's crazy. I mean, how is that even possible? Forsake everything, Abram. Follow me, Abram. Have faith that I will do what is seemingly impossible, Abram. And for what purpose? God says, I will make you great. I will make you great so that you can be a blessing. I will bless you so that you can bless others. He says, in you, all of the families of the earth, the whole nations, all the nations will be blessed by you, in you, through you. God says, I'm going to bless you. So that you can bless others. There's a double promise given to him. That he would be blessed. And that God would use him to bless others. And both things we have to see are clearly done by God alone. Abram doesn't figure anything out. He's not coming up with his own plan. He doesn't have a life plan in place to figure out how to become great. And be a blessing to everyone. God says I will do that work in your life. I mean this is crazy. I mean can you imagine Abram going back to his wife. After he's had this interaction with God, who's spoken to him, and he goes up to her and says, hey, uh, babe, so I was talking with God today, and I think we need to move. And she says, where? He says, I don't know. He says, she says, why? Uh, so we can become a great nation and bless all of humanity. <laughs> I mean, that would be crazy if you went back to your wife and said something like that. She might look at you like you've lost your mind. I mean, this is a crazy notion to think about. I don't want us to, if there's familiarity to this story, not realize the significance of what God is calling this man and his family to do. So what does Abram do? Well, he heeds God's call. Verses 4 and 5 says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Abram trusts God. He forsakes everything. He follows God. He has faith that God is going to do what he said he was going to do, no matter how impossible it might seem. seem. It seem you can see that he's literally taking everything. He's not planning on going back. He takes all of his possessions. Anybody that works for him and his family with his, with his livestock, everybody goes with him. He says, I'm leaving and I'm going. But then things start to get a little bit interesting. The beginning or end of verse 5 into verse 6, it says, When they came to the land of Canaan... Abram passed through the land to the place, to, place of, at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. 
And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. See, God's leading Abram and his family, but he takes them to a land that's not vacant. But it's a place that's occupied by false worshipers. In fact, this particular place that he goes in Shechem is a place of worship, of false worship, an idol worship. It takes place here. People who've rejected Yahweh, that's where where God takes him. Now, this could be a moment of faltering for him. He could sit there and say, wait, 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 God, God, wait, wait, wait. Uh, What's going on here? Where are we going? What are you doing? This isn't what I had in mind. I I thought that you said we were going to go to a new place, that you were going to give us a new place and make us a new nation. I thought you were going to hook us up. Are you sure this is the right place? Maybe the directions are off. Maybe this isn't where we're supposed to be because there's already people here. But God continues to be gracious and patient with him. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. God meets Abram there. Abram, this is exactly where I want you to be. And I will do what I said I was going to do. I will make you a great nation, and this will be where you reside. Trust me. And Abram Abram does trust him. The rest of verse 7 into verse 9, it says, So he built there, at this place, an altar to the Lord, an altar to Yahweh, who had appeared to him. And from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Now we may need to slow down a little bit here and ask this question. So what is going on here? Like what's really happening here in this moment? I mean, is this just about Abram having a lot of kids? And having a nice piece of land to raise his family on, is it about him becoming famous? Is that what this is all about? Well, some of that is true. That is some of the reality of what's going on. These are promises that God has given to this man, but there's so much more to that than that going on. See, God has called Abram to forsake. He's called him to follow. He's called him to have faith, but not ultimately to make much of Abram, but to make much of himself. See, God has called Abram to spread the fame of Yahweh to the ends of the earth. See, as as Abram goes into a foreign land of God-haters, he comes to a place of this idol worship in in the land of the Canaanites, and Yahweh comes to him and says to him, Here, here, this is where you will become a great nation. From this place where you bless all of the nations and become a blessing to all of the world. And what does Abram do when he hears this word from God? He worships him. He builds an altar to the Lord, a place of worship to Yahweh, and it's right next to these pagan altars. He's saying, no, this is God's kingdom that's coming to bear. You have run away from God, but Yahweh is here. He will be worshipped. And then he goes on to another place in the land, and he builds another altar to Yahweh, and he calls on him, and he worships him there. God has called Abram to forsake and to follow and to have faith so that he can spread the fame of Yahweh. Building these altars is about reclaiming land from the seed of the serpent for the kingdom of God. God is continuing to advance his kingdom and he's going to use this man who he has called out of darkness to do this work. So we have to understand that God's blessing to Abram is about way more than getting things. It's about getting God. It's about being restored into a right relationship with him. Yahweh becomes Abram's God as he calls him and as he relates to him. And Abram responds to that through worship and calling on his name. 
And this is the foundation. This is the turning point of Abram's life. Everything changes for him as he goes and he walks in faith and he believes God. And then he worships God and says, okay, God, I I think I get it. This is about you and your name being made much of. God, I left everything for you. I followed you. I, I believe your word is good for me. And now I worship to make much of you. God has and is going to bless Abram in order for Abram to be a blessing. This is all of grace. I mean, think about this. In chapter 11, what we see is that the nations have come together to make a name for themselves. To continue to spit in the face of God. And right after that, what does God do but extend grace by calling a man out and saying, No, I'm going to make you great so that you can bless these nations. The same nations who are rejecting God. God says, no, I'm not going to let you do what you think is best, but I'm going to do what I know is best. I'm going to give you myself. I'm going to spread my fame across the face of the earth. See, God is still doing a creative work. God is forming a people, a people he's calling to be his own people that bear his name. And all of this from beginning to end is God's doing. See, we have to see that this story is not primarily a story about Abram. This is God's story. This is about God and his faithfulness to his promise. This is about his grace. This is the beginning of of God ramping up his plan of rescue to send a redeemer for his people by sending a redeemer that is one of his people. And God is the one that called Abram. Abram didn't discover God. He wasn't seeking after God. God sovereignly chose him in order to show his grace, which means there's absolutely nothing that Abram could boast about in this. There's nothing. He wasn't looking. God spoke a word to him and called him to himself. And it's by grace through Abram that God is calling out a people, a people of his own choosing. As one pastor and commentator writes about Abram, he says, Abram was one man against the world. But he was a man of the world who had been summoned out of the world by the grace of God. God had called him out of the same place that he was going to send him back to spread his fame. The promises made to Abram were the means by which God would start to undo the devastation that had been brought upon the world by Adam and through Adam as he would bring his kingdom into the world. God intends to use Abram. He intends to use this future family as, of promise as an instrument of reconciliation, as an instrument of restoring his broken creation by sending him into the world to be a blessing to the world. See, God's choosing of Abraham is not about excluding anyone else. His sovereign choosing of Abram is not about excluding or condemning anyone. It's about being and becoming a benefit to a world that has absolutely no intention or desire to do right and to follow God. This is a story of grace through and through. God is not obligated to do that. And God's grace never fails to deliver humankind from the consequences of their sin. Remember, as we said last week, that humanity's sinfulness cannot overcome God's covenant faithfulness. The seed of Eve will crush the head of the serpent. And the calling of Abram out of false worship to true worship of the one true God is not just good news for him. It's good news for all of humanity. See, God's not seeking only to graciously save Abram. He is going to graciously save people from every tribe, from every language, from every nation through him. Abram is graciously chosen. 
and he is graciously sent. He makes Abram a mediator of blessing to humanity, but not in and of himself, but because through him will come the mediator for humanity. This is the good news of the gospel. And it's preached to Abram here, just as it's preached in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And, and Paul helps us understand that. In Galatians chapter 3, the apostle Paul, writing about this particular instance of the calling of Abram, says this. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that God would justify the nations, people from every tribe, every language, every nation, that God would do that work by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abram, the man of faith. Faith in what? Faith in what? What's God saying there's faith in to receive this salvation? It's faith in the son of Abraham, who's the son of Adam, who's the son of God, Jesus. Paul goes on to say in Galatians chapter 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So that, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that it might come to the nations so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, Paul says, And he says it does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, into your offspring, who is Christ. See, Christ is the true seed of promise. He is the king of the kingdom that has come to redeem the whole world. God calls Abram to forsake. He calls him to follow. He calls him to have faith in order to spread his fame by worshiping him and being a blessing to the world. And that comes in and through Christ. All the promises of Abram are fulfilled in and through Jesus. And God intends on rescuing the world. And we know that God loves the world that he's made. John three sixteen and 17, God tells us this through his word. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. See, all of us apart from Christ are under condemnation for our rebellion against God. We are just like the people of Genesis chapter 11. We live to make a name for ourselves. We live for ourselves alone, not for God. And we are like Abram, not seeking after God, not looking for God. We're content with being the center of our world which makes us not in a right relationship with God. Sin holds us captive. And so all of us need a redeemer. All of us need a mediator, someone who can deliver us from the consequences of sin and its bondage. And this is the content of the blessing to Abram. It's what Jesus accomplished by living the perfect life of obedience, by dying an undeserved death for sinners and bearing the wrath of God on his back. And being raised again from the dead. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises of God to Abram. Blessing has come through Abram to the world in and through Christ. You see, we're just like Abram. Not because we're going to become a great nation. Not because God is going to give us some special place. Not because he's going to hook us up. We're like Abram because we are in desperate need of God's grace just like he is. 
What would Abram be without God's grace? He'd be an idol worshiper, lost, dead in his sin. What would you be without God's grace? You'd be an idol worshiper, lost, dead in your sin. And maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you haven't yet experienced God's grace, but perhaps God is calling you to himself just as he did Abram. He's calling you to trust Christ, Christ, to experience his grace, to be redeemed and reconciled to him through Christ's life, through his death, through his resurrection. See, apart from Christ, apart from God's reconciling grace that comes in and through Christ, you are lost and dead in your sins, Scripture says. But through Christ, you can be brought into the family of God and made alive. So if you haven't done that yet, if you haven't turned to God, if you haven't heeded his call, would you do that today? Would you listen to the voice of God, the the free gift of grace he offers to you in and through Christ and repent of your sin and believe the good news of Jesus today? That's why we're here. That's why we exist as a church. We want to be all about Jesus and we want people to know Jesus and follow him. And so if you haven't yet done that and you want to learn more about what that means, please come talk to me. Or talk to anybody else here that's a part of this church. Or go to community group this week and just ask that somebody would help you understand what it means to know and follow Christ. But praise God that this story is not a story about Abram. But about God's grace and faithfulness to redeem a broken world. See, what we see in this story is we see a picture of the macro story of redemption that comes through Jesus. The offspring of Abram. It's the the grand story of redemption. The calling of Abram is huge in the story of redemption because it's through him that Jesus comes. Abram is graciously chosen and graciously sent so that others might know God. But also within this story, we see a micro story of redemption that's played out in your life through Jesus. See, here's the deal for you and me today. If you are in Christ this morning, if you sit here today knowing that you've been reconciled to God because of the blood of Jesus shed for you, it's because God sought you out. It's because God called you out of his grace to himself. You did not, you could not choose God. There's nothing spectacular about you. 1 Corinthians 1 tells us that. It reminds us that God didn't bring people into his family because you're the best kicker on the kickball team. That's not his point. It's not because you know a lot. It's not because you look good. It's not because you'd be good for God's kingdom. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God called you to himself. Romans 5, 8 that we read earlier says, while you were still sinning, Christ died for you. You were rebelling against God, running away from him. But God in his grace called you to himself. Maybe it came through a friend. Maybe it came through a family member. Maybe it came through a sermon or listening to a song. But God uses his people to call people to himself. And if you have heard the gospel, if you have believed the gospel that Jesus Christ is the son of God who lived a perfect life, who died as a worthy substitute, is the only substitute for you, for your sin and your rebellion, and believe that God raised him from the dead, then you now have become a recipient of grace that's born out of the good news preached to Abram. God preaches good news to him, and that same good news travels to you. And Paul tells us that you now, if you are in Christ, are an offspring of Abram. 
which means that you have received the blessing and promises of Abram, which is Christ and his kingdom. If that's true for you, then the macro story of redemption through Jesus, the offspring of Abram, has become a micro story of redemption in your life. And you and I, as offspring of Abram, as heirs of grace, are now called to proclaim the same good word of the kingdom of God and his grace to the world. If you know Christ this morning, you have been graciously chosen and are graciously sent. See, Abram was a disciple in every way. A disciple means a follower, someone who follows after, and particularly in the scriptures, following after God. And we see Abram, he's called, he's commissioned to know God, to follow God, and to spread the fame of God in the world. And the discipleship call of Christ our Lord sounds a lot like God's call to Abram. Listen to the words of Jesus. Mark chapter 8, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Matthew 19, Jesus says, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Look, this is not about getting material possessions. God's not saying, look, if you forsake everything, if you leave everything and follow after me, then I'm going to hook you up in this life. That's not what this is about. These promises to Abram are his promises. For kids and land and prosperity and a great name, that's not a promise to you. This is about life in and through Christ our Redeemer and citizenship in God's kingdom. Romans 8 tells us if we're in Christ, then we are heirs according to promise. We are recipients of the kingdom of God through Christ. See, the story is not about being like Abram. Abram wasn't anyone special. We don't uphold him as someone that we should exemplify. The story isn't his. It's God's story. This is about God. And the God of Abram is your God. And he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And so this is about you and me listening to him. And Jesus, who is king, who is the seed of Abram, who has become a blessing to the world by dying for the sin of the world, now calls you to forsake and to follow and to have faith and to spread his fame to the nations. When we experience the amazing grace of God through Christ, forsaking something is not really sacrifice. When we understand that by forsaking, we get God. We get to be in a relationship with the holy God, having eternal life, experiencing his grace and life right here and now. We remember the words of Jesus, deny yourself, forsake everything and follow me by losing your life, though you gain life. Don't build a tower to the heavens to make a name for yourself. Follow after me and receive life. The apostle Paul understood this. The man who had sought to make much of himself says this in Philippians chapter 3 after meeting Jesus. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. 
See, the call of Christ to you, like God's call to Abram, confronts the deep desires for physical and temporary comforts in this world. But God calls you to forsake the fleeting pleasures of this world for a greater joy, knowing him, following him, being found in him. So is God calling you to forsake something right now? Something that you're holding on to? Maybe it's a home. A home you hope to have or a home you already have. Maybe it's a relationship with a a boyfriend or a girlfriend and God's asking you to forsake that for a greater joy. Maybe it's things that your life has been around getting more things and finding your joy and satisfaction and maintaining those things and God's calling you to forsake the things of the world. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's your job, the job you hope to have or the job that you're aspiring to have. Is God calling you to forsake something for his glory? See, when God calls you, it changes absolutely everything for you, just like it did for Abram. He can never look back on his life the same way after he heard the call of God. You cannot look at anything the same if you know Christ. It's not just about getting a ticket to heaven punched and living your life like everything's the same. It's about everything being radically changed. You follow a new Lord, a new master now. God saved you through Christ. God saved you through Christ. That's insane. Do we stop enough? Do we slow down enough in life to really think about what that actually means? That you were dead in your sin and God graciously saved you. And you, like Abram, are called out of the world now to follow a new and better king. It's ridiculous to think that you would trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, to be reconciled with God, and then reject following him. It doesn't make any sense. So are you following him? Are you going where he's leading you, even if that's countercultural to what the world says is good? Abram left everything to follow God, and Christ calls us to do the same. Maybe God's calling you to follow him by staying in Fairfax to reach Fairfax. Maybe it's, it means staying in your job to reach your coworkers. Maybe it means saying no to a promotion so you can spend more time with your kids or your neighbors or your friends that don't yet know Christ. And maybe for all of us, for all of us, maybe it's about starting our day every single day Asking God to renew our thoughts, renew our minds so that we would look at the world as an opportunity to see everything that we do as an opportunity to give glory to God. That every day we would wake up and say, this world, this life is not about the here and now. What I'm called to do, God, is to forsake and to follow you. And I want to give you my whole life. I want everything I do today, whether it's playing with my kids at home, whether it's going and running errands, whether it's going to a cubicle, whether it's sitting in traffic, whether it's teaching kids in school, whether it's sitting in a classroom, working at a church, being an engineer, being a doctor, being someone who works at a bank. It doesn't matter what you do, that everything you do, you would wake up and say, God, would you renew my heart? Would you renew my mind that everything I do today would be for your glory and the good of those that I interact with? Are you submitting every aspect of your life to the kingship of God? His kingdom has broken into this world. Are you following the king? And as we forsake and as we follow, we have to remember that this has to be done in faith. We don't do any of these things to earn favor with God. This is not about checking a list off. It's not about bringing a resume to God, say, have I done good enough? Have I followed you good enough, God? No, this is about trusting God 
walking in faith. We do these things because we've already received grace from God. We've already received favor from God through Christ. See, Abram's obedience, it rests on the foundation of God's sovereign grace. Abram wasn't seeking to do these things until God called him to himself. It's resting on sovereign grace. It's obedience that flows from faith in the word of God that he spoke to Abram. Abram was trusting the word of God. And we are called to trust the word of God. We are called to trust the gospel That what God says about you now, that you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, that you are a new creation if you're in Christ, literally changes everything for you. That we believe that word and recognize that that means that my life should look different. We believe and trust in and have faith in the word of God that it's for our good, that it's for our joy, even if it's difficult, even when it's hard to understand. Do you believe that God and his promises to you are good? Do you believe that they're for your good? That knowing and following Christ is better? That pursuing holiness and righteousness will bring greater joy than the promises of the world or that image on the internet? Do you believe that when God calls you to forsake and to follow, that it's calling you to something better, to the best thing, even if the world says something different? Now, this doesn't mean that being obedient to God's call is always going to be easy. In fact, most of the time it's probably going to be difficult because you live in a place that is built on building towers to make much of itself. And it's going to be difficult. And most of the time it's probably not going to play out the way that you think it might play out. It already hasn't played out that way for Abram. God called him to go to a new place in a new land and he arrives and there's a bunch of people worshiping false gods around him. So the same thing is true for you. It's going to be a difficult road at times. But what we see in the midst of that, and we'll look at this as we look at the life of Abram next week, is that Abram struggles with faith in this. But in the midst of that struggle, we can be reminded that Christ came not to give us land, not to give us kids, not to give us things, not to give us personal comfort and security. He came to give us himself and to bring us life now and forever. In that is your peace and your joy and your satisfaction. His promise to you this morning is that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And nothing can separate you from his love. As we forsake, as we follow, as we have faith, we can then spread the good news to the nations. Abram was called to spread the fame of God. And so Christ has commissioned his people to spread his fame to the ends of the world so that we might be a blessing to other people as they hear the word of the gospel from our mouths and come to know him and experience his blessing. Paul told us that the gospel was preached to Abram beforehand and the good news was fulfilled in and through Christ and is now the calling of Jesus' church, of God's chosen people to proclaim that good news to the world, to see the blessing of the nations go out. Because of God's grace, we can live out Psalm 117, which says, praise the Lord, all nations, praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. God's plan of redemption is unfolding because God is faithful to his promises. This is his story. Humanity's focus on self cannot thwart God's plans of redemption. He has called and is calling a people for his own possession and for his glory. And man, do we see this in Abram's life. 
God calling a man to himself that wasn't seeking him? Do we see it in the lives of our brothers and sisters that sit around us this morning at Sojourn? Do you see it in your own life? God calls unworthy, non-searching, lost, worshipers of false gods, worshipers of self to himself. That's crazy. And it's all amazing grace. When we forsake the things of our old life, when we follow Christ as Lord in every aspect of our life, when we have faith that God is who he says he is and has done and is doing what he said he would do, we cannot help. We cannot help but overflow in joy and adoration in calling others to the same. So as we end our time together this morning, I want us to respond in worship to God's amazing grace, to his unfailing love that's been extended to you. The blessings to the nations has come. Praise God for that this morning. And now let's go and tell others that they might receive that blessing as well. As we come to the table this morning to take and eat the bread and drink the cup, I want us to be reminded of something. The Apostle Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession for this reason that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God called Abram out of darkness into light. If you know Christ this morning, then God called you out of darkness and into light. Abram was blessed to be a blessing and Christ has come. And now you have been blessed to be a blessing. As you come forward to eat the bread, remembering Christ's body given for you. And as you come forward to drink the cup, remembering Christ's blood shed for you. My hope and my prayers, the spirit would blow your mind away this morning. Recognizing that you did not and could not choose God. You were dead in your sin, but that God in his unfathomable mercy and for the praise of his holy name chose you to be his own, to call you his son, to call you his daughter. In order that, that we would get to, that we would have the privilege to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into light to our neighbors and to the nations. Man, let's rest in God's grace in that this morning. And if you're not a follower of Christ, I just encourage you and ask you not to come forward to take communion because this is a declaration of praise. This is a declaration of worship. As Abram called in the name of the Lord, we call in the name of the Lord this morning as we come forward, taking the bread that symbolizes Christ's body and drinking the cup that symbolizes Christ's blood, knowing that we are dependent on that. And so if you don't yet know Christ, if you haven't trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, we're going to ask you not to come forward to take communion because we want you to take Christ. We want you to experience this grace. We want you to know God. And so instead of coming forward, we just ask you to sit in your seat and and pray and ask God to reveal himself to you. And for those of you that do know Christ, maybe this is an opportunity for you to just confess where you haven't been forsaking or following him, where you haven't been believing that his word is good to you. And when those of you that will come forward, when you do come forward, you can come whenever you're ready, tear off a piece of bread and take a small cup to drink. And what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful for the fact, Lord, that you call dead men and women to yourself. Lord, we praise you that in your unsearchable grace, 
Lord, we can't, even, we can't even plunge the depths of your grace. Lord, I don't think we're going to even understand what grace really is until we're on the other side of heaven and we see the reality of what it means to be in a relationship with you and that comes only through Christ. Lord, we thank you. We thank you. We praise you, God, that you call people to yourself. Lord, you don't, you don't let us just sit and try and figure it out on our own. We wouldn't. We couldn't. We wouldn't want to. But Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for seeing that played out in the life of Abram, that he was a man not seeking after you, but you called him to yourself and that through him, you have blessed the world as Christ has come to rescue and redeem people from every tribe, every language, and every nation that we are a part of. So Lord, help us to just sit in that, to soak in that, to worship you because of that, and that that would overflow in our life to spread the fame of your name to Fairfax and to our country, and to the nations, Lord, that you might call more and more people to yourself. Lord, we thank you that the blessing of Abram has come in and through Christ, and we praise you for that today. So Lord, as we continue to worship together through communion and singing of these songs, I pray that you draw our hearts closer to you, and Lord, that you would give new life to those that are here today that don't yet know you. We love you, Lord. We pray all this in Christ, our Redeemer's name. Amen.